Welcome back for another exciting episode of Soul Goals, where we explore what it looks like to be a vibrant, strong Jewish woman in this day and age, drawing on sources and lives of women in Tanakh and women between Tanakh and now who really exemplify what it means to be that strong woman. I'm Sarah Kornblit, host of the show, clinical social worker, and I am excited for us to dive in and talk about the awesome topic that I have planned for today. So a lot of the women who are very prominent in Tanakh and really incredible, special, um, righteous women, we know of them because of their husbands or their fathers or their sons, and that's really how they come into the spotlight and come to light. Today, we're going to talk about two women who became renowned and famous for their deeds through their own personal merit, um, not necessarily because of their husbands. And it's an exciting topic for me. I remember when I was a kid or a teenager thinking like, oh, I want to be a Rebbitzin. And I'm like, yeah, but you have to marry a rabbi to be a Rebbitzin, um, right? And, and what does it look like to come into that um, place of authority and influence on your own without you know, having it be through a husband, but not necessarily, and this is extremely important, through trying to just be a man or be a rabbi, right? Like this is how do we shine and have that strength manifest in a way that's unique to women and is also aligned with the Torah view of women. And this is a challenge and it's something that I really, I feel like I've mentioned along the way so far, but the kind of modern view of feminism and women doing exactly the same thing as men and being just as capable in the same areas as men are is something that can be confusing and you know and there definitely are many areas where women are highly competent and can definitely do the job that men are doing but there are areas where we have strengths that are unique to us and we want to own that so today we're going to really dive into that and I'm a big fiction reader, love reading stories, um, fantasy or olden day, you know, stories of women, heroines. And today, diving into the story of Devorah and Yael, it kind of blows any other story I've read out of the water. It's incredible, exciting, and really highlights some amazing values for us to be able to translate into our own lives. So, Devorah was um, in the time of the Shoftim, right? She was a Shofetess. She was a prophetess um, and a judge, right? So the Jewish people would come to her for her judgment. And it says in the Pasuk that she was Aishas Lapidos, and we know that her husband was Barak, who was her right-hand man. Um, and it says in Mitzudas David, which I love, is that Aishas Lapidos is, means that she was zealous in her deeds as a torch of fire. So 
This was a woman, not a timid woman. This is a very passionate, strong woman. And this, you know, right bef- in, in the Navi, um, right before we hear that Devorah became the, um, the judge of B'nai Israel, we hear about the enemy, right? Um, King Yavin of Canaan, who was basically oppressing the Jewish people and his general Sisra. So she has a plan. And she, you know, she says, this is what Hashem said. She tells Barak, who should, you know, that he should lead the army, do this, this, and this, and you will defeat Sisra. And Barak says, if you come with me, I'll go. If you don't come with me, I won't go. And there's different, the Mepharshim say why he said that. Um, One reason was that he felt that maybe he wouldn't be worthy of that victory without Devorah there. But unfortunately, um, because she did give a Navua and he basically actively said, I won't do it unless you come with me. She says to him in the Pasuk, I will come with you, but just know you're actually not going to be the one who gets credit for this victory. And um, the victory will be delivered in the hands of a woman. And we know that this is Devorah, A, eh? because even though Barak was leading the army, she was at his side and she was seen as the one who is the power there and then Yael and that is such an exciting story for us to dive into so I have on my beloved um, Sifria app open and I'm going to read just some of the English of the Psukim just to, to kind of give that story over so um, and just you know they go so they go to war they um, Devorah and Barak they defeat Sisra's armies and Sisra is now on the run. So he ends up at the tent of Yael, the wife of Hever Hakani, and there was a friendship between um, the Canaan, Canaan and um, King Yavin. And so Sisra felt trustworthy of her. And so he basically, she said, um, come in, don't be afraid. And she kind of makes puts him at ease it makes him feel like come in don't be worried he came into the tent she covered him with a blanket and he said to her can i have some water i'm thirsty and she opened a skin of milk and gave him to drink and covered him again so he asked for water and she gave milk so why was that so one reason the mafarshan give is that she was trying to see how alert he was, right? He was exhausted. He was just in an intense battle that, where, he was def- where his troops were defeated. And she wanted to see, was he able to discern what he noticed? Another element was that the milk and the fat in the milk would make him tired. And in order for her to be able to kill him, she needed to get him you know, to really relax and be, fall asleep. And also, it made him feel special. Oh, he asked for simple water, and she gave him a more lavish drink. So it made him feel even less defensive, less guarded, and to know that he's in good hands. So there he is, um, and he says to her, can you stand at the entrance of the tent, and if anyone comes and asks if there's anyone here, just say no. And so in those days, and it was basically very strong protocol that if the man of the house, the man of the tent wasn't home, then whoever was did not enter the tent. 
And so what he was saying is that if you say that your husband is not home, no one would even come in and chance upon me. So he really trusted her, right? She, he's talking to her like they're kind of partners in this and accomplice. We're going to do this together and um, he'll be saved. So he falls asleep and she takes the tent pin and the mallet, right? So if you imagine the pins around the tent kind of staking it to the ground, the way to get it in is there's this kind of like flat hammer mallet that you kind of bang it in. And she took that, and when he, he was fast asleep from exhaustion, she approached him and then drove the pin through his temple and kind of hit it in till it went straight through down to the ground. And I know that's kind of gory, so sorry for anyone out there who is, like, not expecting this, like, podcast about, like, being a great woman to end up having, like, blood and gore. So I apologize if you're traumatized from that. Anyways, um... It's really interesting the way she did this. And there's a few different strengths that are very, very strongly um, applauded for why she used that tent peg and mallet instead of a sword, a dagger, some other kind of more traditional um, weapon for killing someone. And so one of them from like that more logistical smart perspective is let's say she's holding that that peg and the mallet and she's approaching him and he opens his eyes it would be very much very easy to explain away that this is something that was part of her responsibilities is oh she has to go um secure the tent or something and he could assume that it's kind of her her household chores that she's doing And then, right, if she was walking towards him with a sword, very different vibe. (laughs) Um, Not as easy to disguise or explain away. And then basically it says in the Mepharshim that if she was approaching him with a sword, he could have gotten up and killed her. So it was a way of protecting herself until she was actually doing it. Another part that is a very, very strong part, and this is actually when we go back to our original Midrash Mishlei, that we spoke about in the beginning, right? Where it goes through Aisha's Chayil and talks about the different women. What is Ya'el's Pasuk? It's Yadeha Shilchaba Kishor. Her hand is set on the distaff, which is like a spindle and another around the house household's tool. The fact that she used a woman, you know, not like, like a, a household item, basically, and not a sword, was a very, very strong message in a woman doing something very powerful, very effective, but not feeling the need to do it in exact way that a man would do it. The whole way that she went about this was with intelligence and thought and cunning, but it's not like sister arrived and she put on her coat of armor and got out her sword and ran after him right that would have been the approach of do it just like a man does it but no she used the fact that he wasn't as wasn't suspicious of her and brought him in and took care of him and was nurturing and she was able to lull him into that false sense of security and then kill him with that tent peg 
And so she's included in this list of Nishay Chayil, right? These women of valor for that reason. That's specifically what's emphasized as such a strength on her part that she figured out how to do it in a way that still was completely aligned with her feminine side. And it's incredible, right? And then and then Barak comes, Yael goes out and is like, Sisra is here, dead in the tent, right? He's here, she, he, Barak comes in and sees, there he is. And so ultimately, Barak, you know, he and his soldiers defeated um, Sisra's army with Devorah at his side, remember that, getting that credit, being seen as the one at the front of the battle too. And then the final nail on the coffin of this army being defeated was the general. And instead of escaping, he was killed by Yael. And so I don't know how you feel listening to that story. For me, like even just reading through it and talking about it right now, I feel so excited. It's exciting to me because it feels like, wow, I love that. That if this is what my religion is describing as a righteous and strong woman. This is applauded and with using that cunning, using that intelligence, using her intuition, she was able to bring down this powerful general. And so bringing that to us, right? Bringing that into our day-to-day lives. I think that when we look at our society, look at our from society and look at, you know, the gender roles, the role of a woman, the role of a man. And, and you know, there's, there could be strong feelings surrounding this, especially with a lot of messaging that we get from the general society we live in, which we can't block out, right? There's, to, an, to a certain extent, we, we live in the world that we live in. And so we hear messages and we need to figure out how to make meaning of things in a way that we can feel good about the way we're living and what we're doing and what our role is. Because ultimately, you know, it's not necessarily, oh, let's totally overhaul gender roles in our community. That's not what I'm saying. Of course not. I think you know that by now. But what I'm saying is that within ourselves, we can begin to just have that powerful feeling of knowing that Within Judaism, women can be relied upon to do really great things, to be the judge of the entire generation, to be the one who takes down the general. We're not, you know, just off to the side. That's not, that's not how we're being conveyed at all when you look at Tanakh, right? We've spoken about you know, Miriam and Yochaved and the way they stood up to Paro. We spoke about Batya and the way she took a stance and did something and defied her father's orders. These women are doing great things, making huge impact on their generations and on the future of the Jewish people. And we, you know, if we really can look at our own lives and try to figure out what can we do? How can we find a way and find our place within this paradigm. 
As always, I'd love to hear from you and you can reach out to me on posa.co and I'm looking forward to next time and this is just such an exciting journey and I'm thrilled to have you along for the ride. Take care.